You're listening to The B Word Unpacked, brought to you by Goodstock Consulting. Welcome back, B-Pack. By now, you guys should know the pulse of this show. You know that we tackle all things on the front line of our community and from our perspective. That being said, we cannot do this show justice without discussing the B-word that speaks directly to injustices in our community. So this week, our B-word comes from the phrase, Black Lives Matter. Whoa. Whoa is right. right. Now, we know this movement comes with a heavy cost and that it can definitely be triggering of deep emotions. So we advise caution and self-care when listening. Make sure to check in with yourselves. Kelly, that's a good segue to a lightning round. Ladies, okay, day-to-day business of being a black woman in America, I know it's already tough. So how are you keeping it all together? Because y'all do it so effortlessly and you're so fly. So what are you doing for self-care? For self-care? So I do a couple of things. I like to do mind, body, and spirit, right? So um, for my body, I literally get a massage. People can say what they want to say about me. I love a massage. massage. Mm. Right. And I get one at least two times a month, if not three. Um, the other thing, though, that I do is, as far as my mental, you you won't see me without some headphone in. And I listen to every podcast, especially T.D. Jakes and Oprah's Life Class. Um, and then I just listen to Pandora. So Donna McClurkin, got your Pandora on, on speed dial. Um, <laughs> heel song. You know, I like to switch it up to heel song every now and then, but... I couldn't tell you what's on the radio at this point. Any new songs? I don't know. If it ain't been within the last, I don't, I'll say 10 it's years. It's just all ago, the babies. Like, it's the baby, little yeah. baby, his baby, mama baby. It's I a lot of babies. That's my type. And I like um, that song. I like that one too. That's my ratchet side. <laughs> but, but for the most part, though, I literally, to decompress, I turn off social media. I'll go ghost on social media for months at a time. I'll turn off the news. And turn off Twitter and go and just literally disconnect um, to the point so I can get myself back centered on what is God speaking to me? Mm-hmm. That's what I need to hear. So I started reading again quite a bit in 2019. And I was a really big reader from elementary school, high school through college. But all of that kind of fell by the wayside during graduate school and then entering the workforce and then becoming a mother. And I just stopped reading. Yeah. But I have gotten back into y'all drum roll Checking out books from the library. There you go with your library card. Library card and um, fiscally conservative. (laughs) (laughs) A.K.A. known as cheat. Um, But um, the top three books I'm going to drop out here real quick. Just a little bit of um, information or recommendations for our listeners. Queenie, y'all, if y'all have not read that book, please check it out from a amazing black British author. It's coming of age. They say it's like the black Bridget Jones diary. Wow. It is so good, y'all. If Who you wrote have, that? Uh, her name is Candace Cardi Williams. If All you right. haven't checked Queenie, check it out. And the Amazon. two other ones I would recommend are In West Mills. So In West Mills is written by Deshaun Charles Winslow. The lead protagonist is a woman. And I love when men can write a strong female character. Yes. I love it when a man can write a Sexy. woman well. And, and then, girl. And then the third one is, whose phone was that? That wasn't mine. That wasn't mine. I don't um, think it was mine. <laughs> <laughs> and then the third book uh, is Dominicana. It's a coming of age story about a young girl who immigrates from the Dominican Republic. And y'all, just the immigrant story is compelling and heart wrenching, but at the end is so triumphant. So if you are interested in picking up three good reads in 2020, Queenie, In West Mills, and Dominicana. 
Right. So mine, I would say, um, how do I self-care? I reflect a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't listen to a lot of music. I mean, I know the babies and I know the sweetie song, okay, because I got kids. But when I'm riding in the car alone, I really like to take that time, especially in the morning, to reflect on my day before. Because I want to see what I did well, what I didn't do so well, and who I need to apologize to. Because I always have at least one person I need to go back to and say, hey, girl. Sorry. I mean, sorry. I mean it like that. That's not what I meant. <laughs> or just trying to clarify my intentions. I right. always want to, because I'm the worrier, always thinking if I were to leave today, are all beds, are all beds made? And right. that's just how I want to leave it. So that's what I do on my car ride in. But then I also listen to podcasts. So I have this real ratchet side. I'm going to call myself Bougetto. So I right. got this real like bougie side. But then I got a whole ghetto kind of ratchetness that I like. So every now and then I'm going to turn up. And I want to listen to stuff like The Read. And I want to listen to Deadass. I ass. love The Read. Yes. And Read This, Read That isn't ghetto. But I mean, it's just silly banter. You know, I want to listen to that. But on the days that I need to feel stimulated, um, or I really want to have an engaging conversation with myself in the car. Then I'm listening to like NPR Code Switch, mm-hmm. 1619, Super Soul right. Sunday, like things like that that make me think outside of um, to help me think about life and ex- it experiences differently. So things like that. Audible is perfect. I downloaded Audible for the first time like three months ago, and I don't know why I hadn't done this before. Like Kelly, I like Isn't books. It automatically on your phone. Well, no, it was automatically on your phone. You probably deleted yours. Probably. Because iPhone is watching what I do and I don't trust it. So nice. now I have Audible. I downloaded my first book, which was Baddest Bitch in the Room. Nice. Hilarious. <laughs> it was a good one. But then right. also I listened to recently Talking to Strangers, Malcolm Gladwell. Mm-hmm. That was a good one. I'm listening to Range. I'm listening to um, the new book through um, Michael Eric Dyson, mm-hmm. Jay-Z. Um, so a few things I keep on rotation and I like to mix it up, just making sure I'm keeping my whole bougetto personality intact. Cause when Saweetie come on, I need to know the words. Right. That's right. all I'm saying. I gotta have this twerk right. But then we I can sit down and talk about health disparities. I mean, and you do need to miss it out with a little bit of ratchet, a little I bit mean, of class, bit. you know. Mm-hmm. But it's Anything that you can do to kind of recenter yourself, because mental health is physical health. Let's keep that in mind. But on that note, let's check in with the America's mental health as we go and dive through this whole subject of Black Lives Matter. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the B side. Now, ladies, now we know that Black Lives Matter movement was founded by three amazing ladies. We had Alicia, Patrice, and Opal in 2013. But before we dive too deeply in what sparked that movement, I have to ask, like, is this really a new notion? Like, weren't we always shouting this Black Lives Matter for literally for decades um, in one way or another? Or is it just now that we have this hashtag that makes the cry visible to the outside world? Well, Ed, like you just said, black people in the United States of America have been fighting for equal justice, for equality for a long time. I mean, from slavery to the civil rights movement until today. So that's not new. But I think the framing of the movement, the simplicity yet impact of those words, black lives matter, is what really struck home for me and 
struck home for other people. That's what impacted other people. I mean, just think about the counter movements or counter statements that arose as the Black Lives Matter movement gained traction and momentum relatively quickly. So we got all lives matter, blue lives matter. And I right. think it was those simple words and potentially the last of those three words, the matter. So the black lives matter, the assertion of our worth and our humanity that really struck both indignation and fear in people. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, Kelly. I think the passion, the marketing, and even the packaging of the message is what really drove it so far. It was so well organized to say that it was a grassroots movement. I mean, from the way that they flood Twitter and Facebook and just all social media platforms and and organize these large crowds of people who may not even knew who may not have even known why they were there but yep. it's like you could feel the fervor you could feel the energy radiating from the crowd I would often watch it on CNN and MSNBC and think shit I should have been there too yep. I got things to say you know I want to march with the crowd too but it's it was so infectious and um shout out to the creators of Black Lives Matter because they did a remarkable job and you can see the passion and effort still doing a remarkable yeah. job and you right. can see it in everything that they do. It takes me back to this episode on the Cosby show. And I know I'm in a conflicted relationship with Bill Cosby right now. I don't know what's going on with him. Hey, hey, but hey. Can we just talk about the Cosby show? Cause it was, instrumental in my life and it really showed me a different side of a black family even though I come from a really great one so all that aside I'm putting out disclaimers like Kelly but on this episode of the Cosby show he was talking to um I think it was Denise's boyfriend and he was talking about presentation and how much it matters and you never want to present your steak on a trash can lid and so I think Black Lives Matter was able to present their steak on a silver platter. And that's what made it so palatable for America, be it black, white, brown or green. You were able to connect because it was so genuine and authentic and just raw. And unfortunately, we don't see that a lot in America these days. Um, and, it, you know, in thinking back to it. It is true that it, it was so kind of raw and authentic. And when I think about Black Lives Matter, I truly think this is the same message that they were saying on Selma, you know, when yep. they were marching. Yep. This is the same message that Rosa Parks was saying on the bus. It's the same message that Martin Luther King and Malcolm X literally gave their lives screaming out. And so the civil rights movement, what what I come to think of is that it, it never really ended. It wasn't about us getting a seat on the bus or being able to use that toilet or this this water fountain. We were literally saying, I want you to see the humanity that is me. And I think the, the beauty of this Black Lives Matter movement that these three amazing women kind of created was that with the civil rights movement, like I said, we can point our finger and name people. The, the movement was attached to the face of Martin Luther King, to the face of Malcolm X, to the face of Rosa Parks. But Black Lives Matter, it literally is every single black person that you see. And so you can't kill this movement by just taking out that one leader. That movement literally is the collective group of us. And that's powerful. Absolutely. So, yes, I mean, it has been a deep rooted pain since the arrival of the first Africans on the shores of Virginia in 1619. But the Black Lives Matter movement has definitely shined a spotlight on injustices in that it gave it a face, finally. I like to call it connect to purpose. Mm -hmm. Like, right. it gives us a, 
some context to connect to. So we're not just looking at stats and facts, but we're looking at real people. We're looking at Trayvon Martin. We're looking at Eric Garner. We're looking at Philando Castile. We're looking at Sandra Bland. We're looking right. at a long list of people who may even feel invisible that we don't even know the names of, but they are forever etched in the fabric of America. And with that, it's being demanded that we acknowledge them. We acknowledge that their deaths were um, an atrocity and that we must change. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Kaepernick. So whether you're on the side of this Kaepernick versus Jay-Z, there's a space for everyone to be an advocate. Look at Beyonce at the Super Bowl. Shout out, B. Um, I mean, black issues are finally on the front line of politics. We have minority people running to be like more than one, running Multiple. to be the president yes. of um, the United States of America. And while, you know, they've dropped out the 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 courage to even run and have a worthwhile campaign says a lot within itself. Absolutely. Right. You know, I can't help but thinking about the reading of the Zimmerman verdict back in January of 2017. Ugh. Girl, I went to church that Sunday following the reading. Me off. Mm-hmm. I was a member of Alfred Street Baptist Church at the time. Ew. Now, shout out Alfred Street. And hey, Reverend, Wesley. Reverend Dr. Howard John Wesley stepped into that pulpit wearing a hoodie, as did hundreds of other black pastors around the country. Come you through pastors. Come mm-hmm. through pastors. Mm-hmm. You know, our people, that congregation, were in disbelief. Folks were in Dignant folks were hurting, people were mourning. And I remember calling my father immediately after that service on my drive back home and telling him about what had what had happened at church, what Pastor Wesley had delivered to the to the church, the message that he had shared. And y'all, my father reflected to me, and I mean his voice just sounded so heavy, he sounded so despondent that he couldn't believe that I would have to tell my son, I was pregnant at the time, his soon-to-be first grandson, how to interact with white America, much like his parents had to tell him how to interact with white America. Y'all, it shook that man to his core. So sad. And never in my life do I feel like I've heard my father sound like that Mm. sound like that following the reading of that verdict this could really break the biggest giant i I know we're going to talk about church in another episode but it's so amazing because we used to go to white church what i call white church that just means the church was predominantly white Mm -hmm. and they never they never even talked about it Mm -hmm. and i think i mean you know and speaking of that i think it's because sometimes even our greatest allies because what i have to remind myself all the time is that we've had allies that are white all along the way, mm-hmm. we couldn't have had an underground railroad. Absolutely, we couldn't have had a civil rights. Uh, we could have had a civil rights movement without white people, but we're, white people were right alongside of us along Absolutely. the way. Absolutely, absolutely. And even to this day, like you know, I live in Charlottesville, Virginia now. Heather was out there protesting against the alt uh, right, Correct. and she was white, and, lost her and life. she the yep. only white, the only person who died during that that riot. And she was a white woman that was speaking up for the black community. Absolutely. So it's this, it's this to not get myself jaded for the whole group um, and not to sound like 45 because y'all know what he said. But um, huh. but there are some there are some allies that we kind of have to keep in our pocket yeah. and try to train them almost of. How do you, when you see the the desperation or you see the kind of, um, yes. how do you say it, the mourning process of black people, how do you speak to it? Despair. Yep. Right. Yeah. Authentically. And how do you speak to it yeah. authentically? Right. Because sometimes if I see, if I know that someone's, for instance, someone's child has passed away, I don't know if someone is miscarried, 
I'm a doctor and I still have a difficult time of knowing how do I talk on this sensitive subject? Mm-hmm. How do I approach Is that you? because you're not a mom? I, I think it's, I think it's because I think about my mom's first child. Mm-hmm. And I know that to this day, my, my older brother would have been what? Four years older than me. So he's, he should have been 40? actually five years. So he should have been right at like 42 years old. And to this day, you mention him mm-hmm. and she breaks down crying. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, it's a wound that will, I don't think will ever heal. And so how do you approach someone and you don't want to necessarily, you don't want to cause more harm than good. And I think if I'm a white person, I'm looking at you mm-hmm. like after Martin Luther King was assassinated. If I was a white person looking at a black person and realizing how deep that hurt must have went, I wouldn't know what to say. I would try to still say it. It wouldn't Mm. stop me from trying to say it. But how do I approach when every day you see this kind of same insult? That might be a thing, Ab. So in healthcare, we in HIV care, we call that trauma-informed care. So Mm -hmm. we try not to re-traumatize you um, by asking you certain questions or making sure we don't ask specific questions. So maybe that's a thing. Maybe it's trauma-informed advocacy or trauma-informed... Um, being a trauma-informed ally and how do you I know some of my white friends struggle with what to say just like what you were saying they want to comfort but they don't share that same experience so they want to sympathize in a respectful way and that could be scary especially if you see a friend going through such a hard time and it's one of those things when it was raw like so in 2013 that's when Black Lives Matter movement was kind of founded and that was the first year that I was hired as the first African-American female um, anesthesiologist at MUSC. Hey, uh, uh-huh. you know, this is opening in 1824. And so when I, when I found that out, my thought was, if I'm going to have this platform, then you're going to hear this voice. Right. And so during that time, it was a, a moment of where my, my thought was, well, what am I going to do with this voice when I'm seeing this happening to my people? So I, first thing I did was let me get on YouTube and let me create this this um, video talking about the greatness of a slave child's DNA to just speak to my people because I know that type of anger, if we hold it inside, it literally will fester and it will either push you to either evolve or it will push you to be kind of toxic and and you can't contain that. Like, how do we redirect this kind of energy? But when it comes down to, to our white allies, what I encourage them to do is you know, it, it it is one of these things that's an uncomfortable situation. But if you can't right. talk to us, then talk to your own. Absolutely. And, there and you go. Those discussions. Yeah, because maybe that's your safe place. But we need we need each other in this movement of humanity. And so it can't just be a black people shouting that black lives matter. Correct. It should really be the entire world saying that, yes, all lives do matter. But in particular... We black are not saying matter. that if you say black lives matter, that white lives don't. Exactly. It's just it's, a weird thing. Yeah, we need no rebuttals. Exactly. We don't need a rebuttal. We don't need yeah. a rebuttal. I right. think we were, um, I, I still yearn and pray for Trayvon's mom and dad because he really has become America's black son. Mm-hmm. And if you as a as a human being can connect with that story and find the connection just the authentic connection in that I think that's a good starting place for how you build those um, relationships connections conversations with again people who don't look like you or may not think like you but I think you have to find a story find a connect to purpose find find a face that you can connect with just on a human level 
and find a way to start that conversation in a meaningful way. What I hate to see is when people feel um, awkward or stumble when your heart is pure. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, no one's expecting you to have answers. People are just expecting you to listen. Yeah. People just want you to listen. People just want to be heard. People want to be seen and people want to be heard. And so if you can just start there, then I think you're winning. Zimmerman, uh, I'm not sure why, for me personally, I should have taken that as a precursor to Trump. Oh, completely. Because that was back in 2012. So if Zimmerman could be let off, I should have known that this country could vote for Trump. But I was just so naive and just thinking, oh, absolutely not. This was just an outlier, one off. We are better than this. But I don't know. Again, I told you guys in another episode, this whole election of Trump kind of changed who I was. And now in retrospect, hindsight is 2020. And I'm thinking, well, damn, I should have known as Zimmerman. Well, it wasn't even Zimmerman. I'm going to tell you when I knew. It was when whenever you heard the phrase Black Lives Matter and people got angry about it. That's uh-huh. not, I, and I was like, okay, hold on a second. Is it the Pissed. black part that makes you mad? Or the matter? Is it the matter part that makes you Like, what about that statement? Are you saying it's not true? Because why does it make you angry? Mm-hmm. And when I saw that people were literally having protests against people literally just saying that Black Lives Matter, I said, oh, God, we're going to be in trouble. And and I think of Trayvon as being like the Emmett Till of my mother's generation. Mm, Absolutely. That's a perfect, perfect metaphor. Is yep. that a simile? Perfect. That simile. face that is going to be forever stuck where you just think, what would his, what was his life going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, what did we snuff out? Like that, right. it upsets me to my core. Well, you know, I can't help to think that the era that we're in right now. Yeah has led to the reality of nonstop news cycles and social media. And that has certainly shed a spotlight, not even a light, but just like a strobe light spotlight on the Black Lives Matter movement, which is positive. But then I also pause to think, well, does it also have some negative repercussions as well? And for me personally, being bombarded by images of Black people being shot, mistreated, abused, choked, it has certainly impacted my outlook as well as my mental health. So it's hard to function normally, quote unquote, in society when you fear for the lives of your loved ones, when you're always on guard, when you're always minding your P's and Q's. And what's messed up about seeing these images on a nonstop news cycle is that at some points, and I feel kind of embarrassed to even say this, but at some point, it led me to a place of compassion fatigue. Like I got to a place and I hope this doesn't sound bad, but I couldn't keep up with what was happening. I couldn't keep pouring out. I'm tired of being sad. I was tired of being sad. I couldn't keep empathizing and sympathizing. And that also feels terrible. And that also jacks up your mental health space. And so I think ultimately we all, as we think about our mental health and think about our community and think about, how we want to empathize and care for our community have to be mindful of how much media we consume. We just have to be much more thoughtful and responsible consumers. Absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things I literally do think I want to write this piece on, you know, is PTSD reserved only for soldiers or do our black community not qualify because it is a, because they check every box, right? Right. We check every box and it's a constant display. You know, it, it makes me think about, I don't know if you guys um, remember a, a Tatiana Jefferson, the 28 year old woman yes. that was in, yeah, in Texas, in Texas who 
was there with her nephew, eight-year-old nephew. And, um, yeah, neighbors called, said the door was open and called the police. Police came over and within two seconds of looking into the window, Mm -hmm. shot this woman in front of her eight-year-old nephew. And in the interview, the family, the the mother of the eight-year-old said that when she finally got to her son, he wasn't crying at all. And he said that he was going to, you know, everything was going to be okay and he was going to protect her. And in that moment, you know, the mom was like, you know, he's so strong. And it, it hit me to my gut so hard because I was thinking, dear Lord, if you ever grant me the blessing of being a mom, I do not want to raise a strong child. And what do I mean by that? Yeah. What, what you I mean by that, friend? Because I, I love the resilience and strength of black people. But it's not that. What, what I mean, though, is that I want a child that can be able to be a child where they haven't been so callous by life. That seeing someone literally shot right in front of them goes without a blink Um, because they because we see it on TV all the time that black people just die. We see we we see it on every Instagram or or Facebook or Twitter. There's there's constant images of black people either being shot, chased by police or and that shouldn't become normal. But that's but that has it now has because normal. this media stream is the normalcy of what what black and brown mean in America. Yeah, I, I think I'm with Kelly with the compassion fatigue, just just being so bombarded with the images mm-hmm. and just being desensitized to it all. When I hear about a mass shooting, y'all. I mean, don't judge me, but I just turn the TV off. Because I'm not ready to accept it yet. I think, um, like I've said before in another episode, how Trump changed me, and I said it earlier, Emmanuel was another event Mm -hmm. that changed me. You had family there, right? I had family there. So I lost a cousin there, DePayne Middleton, um, Middleton doctor. And so I felt like a part of me lost a sense of hope for our country. And so to keep hearing it, especially in schools, especially in churches, in places that are supposed to be sacred, I, there is no way I can plug into that all day and allow my family to, to go out into the world. Mm-hmm. Because my normal personality would be on edge all day. Yep. Right. All day. And so I've had to shut down the social media and I've had to shut off the news, which and I love the news, but I've had to shut it off. I'm a news junkie, but I've had to shut it off only for my own self-care and mental well-being because it's too much. And I realized that my kids were picking up on it, too. So they were going their energy. Oh, yeah. And they were going to school and they were talking about it and they were having pretty good questions to be eight and five. But too um the the content was too mature for mm-hmm. an eight and five year old and so i want to make sure like you were saying uh protecting their innocence mm-hmm. and allowing them to be kids one thing that i admire that i talk to my white friends about sometimes is about the freedom yeah. that white kids feel oh absolutely i mean like you take a year off like what the hell is a gap year are mm-hmm. okay are i'm gonna travel or there's a job opportunity across the country and i'm gonna take it it's like, and you just leave your family or you just leave your mom. Like, I, I want my kids to have that sense of freedom yep. that the world is the world is their oyster and they can do whatever they want. But they are not going to feel that way if I continue to expose them to the messages and images that we unfortunately see every day. Mm-hmm. Friend, I'm going to tell you, I had that moment of freedom in the most random way. Can I explain? Mm-hmm. So me and my girls, shout out Cherie, shout out Keisha. 
were at a um, concert, Beyonce concert, because shout out B, right? Okay. <laughs> it's probably like the only concert we go to every year. And we like, okay, no meetings around a Beyonce concert. Which one you going right. to? Right. So, I mean, so, you know, we're in the pit because, okay, I was in charge of buying the tickets. There we usually go. get VIP you go tickets. All out. I didn't realize the pit. Out. I didn't realize that we weren't going to have seats. So, sorry again, Keisha, who complained. <laughs> <laughs> We do all not to have seats. I mean, girl. But fast forward. So we're in the pit at in Beyonce um, concert. And the guy says, you know, which side of the stage you guys want to be on? Now, I know that Beyonce always, if she's facing the crowd, she stays on the left-hand side. Because I don't been to what? Too You're many concerts. So You're fast stalker. forward. Mm-hmm. So when the concert started going, I noticed, like, the other side of the pit had a lot more people than our side of the pit. But I was like, whatever. Keep the party going because they don't know that she comes over here to the left. Fast forward. So halfway through the headliners or whatever, I hear a little ruckus behind me. I turn around and there is Michelle, Mm. Sasha. Mm. They they in our pit. Oh, my God. Oh, Oh my God. So now I'm showing out because I'm trying to get a selfie with my president. There you go. There you go. My homegirl. Right. I got this woman who now looking back. Looking back, I was a little excited, but this little woman came over and tried to hold my hand. Was like, "Can they just have their peace?" I said, no, "I they vote can't. for them. Sorry. That's my family." Yeah. So anyway, she my cousin, but, right? But in that moment, I realized that this whole pit that I'm in right now, the CIA, the FBI, all the alphabets have been scanned, <laughs> threatening us. They've been scanning the whole crowd. Like I've never felt that mm. safe before in life. Like I put my pocketbook down on the ground in the pit. I was like, what? "Ain't nobody touching it." Because I got all the security. So, and I, and I think that's how, I think that's how I the am, majority. I am protected by the alphabet. <laughs> that's how the majority of people um, feel. Yes. In that moment, this, this sense of, I am completely secure. Safe. Yeah, I'm completely safe. But, you know, but it is one of those things on the other side of it. That was, that was what, three hours of my life. And it was a fantastic concert. I cannot tell y'all. But it's on the day to day that I do get frustrated. Like I said, the, the news media and social media, like they just normalize the attacks of black and brown people. They, they associate us only with poverty, only with crime, only with violence. Like for instance, y'all. So there was this, this project called the sentencing project where there's over 2.2 million people in the United States jails. Now I know y'all have all seen um, Ava's documentary of 13. Yes. 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 But, um, yes. Right. But over the last 40 years, there's been a 500 percent increase in the amount of prisoners and majority of those are black and brown faces. Now, get this is not even if you go to jail that you're a target. If you look at the news media, if you're black, there's studies that shows that black people are four times more likely to be represented as criminals than the police officer on TV shows. Not only that, black people, you're less likely, for instance, to even use drugs, but you're more likely to go to jail for it. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is that like in Charlottesville that I live right now, if you're black, you're nine times more likely to be pulled over the stop and frisk thing that may, has Bloomberg in trouble now coming mm-hmm. back to haunt him. Yep. That's that's what the devil will do to you. Huh. But anyway, but um, but this stop and frisk, you're nine times more likely to be pulled over just because you're black. So like. What do y'all think about that? Yeah, this is why Black Lives Matter is a necessary movement. We need people who are um, who hone into these grassroots movements. We need them to be directors of our narrative because if they're not, we won't get that message out. Yep. So now 
we need to come to the end of this taping because it's time for you to be bothered. Hashtag be bothered. This is the moment when we're going to leave our imparting words of advice. So in light of Black Lives Matter, ladies, what message do you want to send to the community? What are your what is your lasting thought about Black Lives Matter? I'll kick us off, Cam. I'd say lean into your blackness. Lean into those three words, into Black Lives Matter. Lean into yourself. Love up on your family. Love on your community. Uplift your community. You know, it makes me think back to uh, 2017 during the Emmys when they asked Issa Rae, you know, Issa, who are you supporting? Who are you supporting? And Issa said, I'm rooting for everybody black. And that just sent shockwaves across the country because people were just in awe, like, in what? shock. Like, she what? said, what? She right. said, I'm rooting for everybody black. And meant and, it. And meant it. Uh, and straight the, face. And the thing right. is, it's okay to say those words out loud. You know, it's okay to publicly sub- to support your community. It's okay to publicly endorse and be proud of your blackness. You know, saying that Black Lives Matter, it's an expression of pride, Mm -hmm. not a denouncement of other people. So lean into your blackness 100%. I absolutely agree, Kelly. I'm going to say while you leaning into that blackness, lean into your quirks. Mm -hmm. Let people know who you are fully as a person. You don't have to walk around like a billboard, like I'm black and I'm proud and you have to grow a natural and you can't do this and you have to do that. Show people who you are fully. We are not monolithic. We are so diverse and not just like phenotypically by how we look, but just the character and the people that we are. Let the world see who we are because I really do believe that we are gems and we could take over this world if we really wanted to. So in leaning into your blackness, also lean into those quirks because that's what makes you special. That's what makes you you. Right. And it's those quirks and what makes you special that I always think about as far as the coding of your DNA. Remember to reflect on the fact that you come from greatness, that you are a slave's child that has grown up and kind of survived your DNA throughout every century of adversity and everything that can be thrown at you. Right. Like you are absolutely indestructible. Your voice was so powerful in the 60s that you changed the constitution of the greatest nation of the world. Know that's in you and be unapologetically you every single day. Now, that's the way to end an episode. Damn. That's the way to end an episode. And that being said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Please tell us what you thought about today's episode. And please let us know if there's a B word that you would like for us to unpack in the future. In the meantime, keep listening to the B word unpack brought to you by Good Stock Consulting. So until then... Let's keep unpacking. Learn more about Good Stock Consulting at www.goodstockconsulting.com. Be sure to follow on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.